Section 16 of Stories of the First American Animals. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dana Patterson, Lexington Park, Maryland. Stories of the First American Animals by George Langford. Manatus, the Merman of the Chesapeake. Part 2. Puffina waited for a time upon the beach, hoping the mysterious stranger might reappear, but in vain. He was gone, and for all she knew, he might never return. However, she had learned something about him, little as it was, and now she was eager to tell her friend Sula the news. So she flew off high in the heavens until she espied the booby perched upon a ledge several miles south of the rookery. Sula's anger had not cooled in the slightest degree. The gull discovered this as she swooped down and settled upon the rock beside her. "'I have learned something about this odd creature,' said Puffina. "'His name is Manatus, whatever that means. "'He eats seaweed, nothing else, "'and he can make the queerest face I ever saw.' Sula said nothing. Her anger still sizzled above the boiling point. However, she kept both ears wide open. "'I have learned something else, too,' the gull resumed. "'He is a freshwater animal who thinks he would like to live in the ocean, "'and yet, for some reason or other, he dreads the change.' He seems to be a simple and harmless creature, neither porpoise, seal, or, nor whale. I have an idea, however, that he would get along nicely with the whales, that is, the big ones. I believe I will go and tell them about him. Do, squawked Sula. They'll smash him with their big tails, and I, for one, will be glad of it. Not if I prepare the way for him, the gull replied. I will tell them that he is a new ruler come amongst them. Whales will believe anything. I can easily make them think he is brave and strong, in spite of his harmless appearance. The big whales have grown so accustomed to being bullied by the little toothed ones that his small size will not count against him. But the toothed whales, they do not believe all they see and hear, squawked the booby. Your friend Manatus will have a hard time with them. They need know nothing about him, said the gull. I will say nothing to them, nor the sharks either. That would be carrying the joke too far. I do not wish to see him hurt. If all goes well, it will be great fun and no harm done. Big whales will soon have something to interest them, or I am very much mistaken. You may well be mistaken, thought Sula, as her friend flew away. I detest that manatus, and if I have my way, he will soon find the sea too hot to hold him. With that, she too flew off, sailing low and far behind the gull, so that the latter would not suspect what she was doing. Puffina winged her way seaward, flying straight and high. She sped over the deep channel of the Chesapeake Bay and reached the outer bar, a broad sandy shoal whose half-hidden presence could be seen beneath the water from overhead. A broad band of gray extending far to the north and south. It was a barrier over which few large marine animals dared venture. On the land side of the bar to the south, Puffina saw many green fish-like forms thrashing about and cutting the water with their long back fins. These were the sharks, sea wolves and the terror of all finny creatures. Further seaward, numerous small specks darkened the ocean surface. Far to the north of them was a group of larger specks, which to the gull appeared like black blotches among the white-capped waves. The two groups, specks and blotches, were whales playing about upon the ocean surface. The former were toothed whales, dolphins, sperms, killers, and the like many of them having long bony snouts after the manner of modern swordfish. 
Pafina turned from them and swooped down upon the dark blotches farther to the north. These were the toothless, or whalebone whales, much larger than the toothed variety, but far more peaceable in their habits. The feeling between them and their smaller brethren had grown more or less strained, and the two groups had little to do with each other. The toothed whales and dolphins had taken to secret warfare upon others of their kind. Therefore their less pugnacious relatives had withdrawn from their society. It had not yet occurred to the large whales that their smaller cousins made up with their fierceness what they lacked in size and might soon develop into formidable enemies. A mere slap of a fluked tail would send any one of them to kingdom come. So the big whales thought little about the matter and proceeded to get all the fun out of life they could. The toothless or whalebone whales were huge creatures ranging from 40 to 80 feet long. Hundreds of individuals representing more than a score of species were gathered together. Their mouths and heads were enormous, being nearly a third as large as their bodies. They wore no hair covering, but thick coats of oily blubber served the same purpose, shutting the seawater from their pores and keeping their bodies warm. They were having a grand time when Puffina descended from on high and skimmed over the waves among them. Every now and then, one of them would turn tail up and dive to tremendous depth, coming up twenty or thirty minutes later for a breath of fresh air. Although shaped somewhat like fishes, they were not fishes, but mammals, the same as horses and cows, having real lungs instead of gills. They would have drowned miserably had they stayed too long beneath the water. Their nostrils were small holes high upon their foreheads, but it was astonishing how quickly they could empty their lungs through them and take in a fresh air supply. It was surprising, too, how long their breath sufficed, but they had lived long in the ocean and grown used to it with continued practice. Puffina skimmed in and out over them like a fly among a herd of cows. Finally, she caught sight of Bellina and singled her out as the one first to hear the news. Bellina was a bowfin, the largest of the whalebone whales. Her upper jaws were lined with baleen, or rows of fringed food strainers instead of teeth. She was at lunch as Puffina came upon her, and so the gull had a fine opportunity to learn just how the toothless whale fed itself. Bellina moved slowly through the water with the greater part of her body submerged and her mouth wide open. It was a tremendous mouth, large enough to hold about a million of the tiny shellfish that swarmed near the ocean's surface. When enough of them were inside of it to make it worth her while, she closed her jaws together, rolled over on her side, and shifted her tongue. That shift of the tongue ejected the water from her mouth, but not the tiny shellfish. They were held back by the baleen food strainers, and then swallowed at leisure. Puffina was on good terms with the big whale, and often flew out to sea to pass the time of day with her. After circling several times over her, she alighted upon Bellina's head. In a few words, she told of her meeting with the mysterious manatus who lived in the water, breathed air, and ate nothing but seaweed. Her eyes twinkled mischievously as she added, The ocean has never known a creature so fierce and strong, although ordinarily he appears so calm and good-natured that none would suspect how formidable he really is. He will soon appear in the ocean to rule over it. Bellina was amazed. She hastily gulped down a million shellfish with a speed that almost choked her. She gasped so with astonishment that the gull was fairly drenched with damp spray spouting from the whale's forehead nose holes. A stranger come to rule over us, cried Bellina. Indeed, I am amazed. Fierce and strong, you say? Oh! 
But calm and good-natured ordinarily, that's better. I detest quarrels and quarrelsome animals. You may be certain he will find us peaceable enough. It is too wonderful and interesting to believe. Now you must excuse me while I tell my people this remarkable news. So saying, with a whisk of her mighty tail, she was darting about among her people, leaving the gull to fly back home again. Come, you bowfins, she bellowed. Come, you humpbacks and bottlenoses, and all the rest of you. The gull has come bringing grand and glorious news. And then great was the commotion that ensued. The water churned and foamed beneath fluke and flipper stroke as the huge monsters crowded about their big leader. Finally, all were quieted down sufficiently to hear what Bellina had to say. A royal stranger named Manitus has come to rule over the ocean, she cried. We must make ready to welcome him. Who is he? asked one. Not a savage creature, I hope, said another. Who is he? I know not, replied Bellina. But the gull says he is a weed-eater. One who feeds upon green things cannot be savage. The gull tells me he can be calm and good-natured, as well as fierce and strong. One of that kind will be welcome here, said one of the bowfins. Welcome? More than that, Bellina grunted. We should hunt him out and provide him an escort, so that he need not come amongst us alone. A most excellent idea. All were agreed on that. Nobody could say that they were lacking in the courtesy and respect due one of royal station. They would treat the stranger in a manner befitting his exalted rank, even though they risked grounding themselves upon the sandbar doing it. In the meantime, Puffina had flown back to the rookery. Her prank was successfully launched. More than that, for unknown to her, the whales had taken time by the forelock and were already pushing matters on their own account. The royal stranger was hovering about the mouth of the estuary, so the gull had said, which meant that somebody must go to him across the shoals. Two of the smallest and boldest whales were selected for the task. Being of comparatively light draft, it was adjudged very cleverly by all that they stood the best chance of crossing the bar in safety. Once over, they were to find the mysterious stranger and return with him. The two envoys set their faces bravely shoreward, and their courage was rewarded by taking advantage of occasional cross-lifts they crossed the bar and reached the bay without mishap. Once there, they kept on until they neared the mouth of the estuary. They were patrolling the waters when suddenly the round head of some strange animal bobbed up above the waves. As they swam toward it, the head sank from sight. Of course royalty must not be unduly urged. There was plenty of time, so the two whales halted over where the head had vanished and waited patiently for its reappearance. End of section 16. Recording by Dana Patterson, Lexington Park, Maryland.